Well, good morning, everyone. And I'm glad each one of you are here. And I would like you to open your Bibles along with me to um, Exodus. And we're in chapter 10. And we'll be picking up with verse 12. Exodus chapter 10, we'll be picking up with verse 12. And uh, let's pray first. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name and how thankful we are for the salvation that we share together. That no matter what our past might have been, no matter what sins we're still dealing with, your grace and mercy is far greater. And it's through that salvation that we have hope, that we have the promise of eternal life. That no matter what's going on in this world, we have assurance. And so, Father, I pray that you would come by your Holy Spirit, minister to us, and encourage us through your word this morning. I pray in Jesus Yeshua's name. Amen. And amen. So I want to mention that this week is our adult dinner week, and there's a sign-up sheet in the side room there. If you want to put your name down, we're going to Boreos, and uh, I need to know ahead of time so I can make the reservations. And also there's a new reading schedule. The reading schedule I put out, um, I guess, last week for September was off. I actually mistakenly brought some of August into September. So now there's new ones out there that all for September, new reading schedule. And, um, you know, um, one of the things that I think about when I study the Word of God and when I'm preparing the message that I'm going to, to preach for you is the fact that the Word of God says of itself that it's living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, but it's living and it's active. So when we study the Word of God, we shouldn't be just looking at it as some kind of esoteric book or some kind of philosophy or some kind of a historical book or even a science book. We have to be looking at it for what it is. It is the Word of God to man. It is the only book like this in the entire world. And you could say, well, what about all these other religious books? There's a big difference. They don't prophesy. You know, you can, you know, name all these other books that are out there, all these other religions, and they don't prophesy for one reason. If you prophesy something is going to happen and it doesn't happen, you look at the book and you say it's false. But one-third of the Bible is prophecy, and all the prophecies of the Word of God either have been, are being, or shall be fulfilled. One of the greatest prophecies in our, well, not a lot of you, but in my time, is Israel becoming a nation. I mean, that was an amazing, amazing prophecy. And so we have to realize that we're living in a time that we're drawing closer and closer to the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I think sometimes um, we almost forget about the rapture. We forget about the promise that God's going to come and take us out of this world before his wrath is poured out. You know, some people say, well, why should he take us out when people are suffering all over the world now? The problem is people are suffering all over the world now at the hands of man. And even most of the suffering that we experience is at the hands of man. But what I'm talking about is when God pours out his wrath on the earth. It's not going to be in this direction. It's going to be from above because of the hardness of man's heart. And God has promised over and over that he would take his bride, his church, out of the world before all of that happened. And there are so many things that we need to be aware of because Scripture tells us that we're not to be. It says, brothers, talking about believers, you are not in darkness that this day should overcome you as a thief in the night. You're children of the light, children of the day. We're supposed to be aware of what's going on. 
And a lot of people say, well, we, we can't really know, you know, the day nor the hour. But Jesus said you should know the time. In other words, the translation of that from Greek is season. You should know the season of when Jesus is coming back. And there are so many things happening in the world right now to indicate how close we are. But we don't know about it because when you turn on the news, all you hear is politics. Did you know there's nothing else happening on the entire planet but politics? I mean, really, if you turn on the news, that's all you hear about. But the reality is there are many things that are happening all over the world. One of the things that was just very exciting to read about, and it actually took place last Tuesday, you probably never saw it in the news, did you? You don't even know what I'm talking about. But anyway, last Tuesday, uh, August 28th, 2018, according to the Israel Daily Star, the Temple Institute announced the first red heifer was born in 2,000 years. Well, people say, well, I thought there was a red heifer that was born, you know, someplace in the United States. The thing is, it has to be born in Israel. The first red heifer in 2,000 years was born in Israel. As a matter of fact, they're moving a red heifer. They're planning on moving a red heifer every few days because, of course, those who are opposed to Israel would like to destroy the red heifer. And a lot of you might be thinking, well, what in the world is a red heifer and what does it have to do with anything? Well, number one, Ekmanabes, uh, one of the famous rabbis of Israel, he prophesied that when the 10th red heifer came, was born, it would be time for the Messiah to come. Now, of course, they're thinking it's his first visit to Israel, and we realize it's going to be his second. But uh, the red heifer, you're thinking, what does that have to do with anything? According to the law, according to God's law, in order for a person who had been around a dead body or had been involved in any kind of unclean sin, they can only be cleaned by the ashes, of the, by the water of the ashes of the red heifer. And I'll explain it in a second. And the temple cannot be used until you have this water with the ashes of the red heifer in it to cleanse the temple instruments and to cleanse the priests. So, in other words, until you have a red heifer, the third temple can't be built. Now, according to the law, what happens is you take the red heifer. It cannot be born with only no more than two white hairs. And it cannot have any more than two white hairs at the time of its sacrifice. It's an anomaly. It's, it's very genetically uh, rare. Very, very rare. And so the red heifer is sacrificed and is burnt according to the tradition of the law. And then the ashes of this red heifer are put into water from a certain spring. And that is what is used to, to sprinkle, you know, the temple instruments to sprinkle the priests and also the people for their sin. So in order for the third temple to even operate, there has to be the possibility of this cleansing. Last Tuesday, the red heifer was born. Whoa, what does that mean? It means a lot. <laughs> This is Israel's 70th year in existence. A miracle. That generation shall not pass, the word of God says, until all things have been fulfilled. We're living in a time that Jesus Christ could come back at any moment. How many of you have even been aware, I'm sure some of you might, who uh, see other than politics, 
Did you know that we had three planes last year? One landed in France, one landed in New York City, and one landed in, in uh, Pittsburgh, or no, Philadelphia, that had to be quarantined upon its landing. The one in France, they think it might be cholera. And uh, the one in New York and the one in Philadelphia, they're saying that it's probably a, a, a very virile flu strain. And people were sick and throwing up on the plane. That's pretty crazy. Bible prophesies there'd be pestilence, you know, in the last days. And one of the things we have to realize, too, are all the numbers of earthquakes. Earthquakes are increasing. Did you know Japan had another earthquake? It's devastating. That little, you know, island has been just devastated with all kinds of natural disasters. And so we have to realize things are happening in the world besides politics, and they're pointing to the coming of the Messiah. They're, coming, they're pointing to the coming of Jesus Christ. And so every year when we get around to the you know, Rosh Hashanah or the Feast of Trumpets, you know, which we're looking at in, in a couple weeks, I'm always thinking, man, maybe that's the time. We don't know the day. We don't know the hour. But the Bible commands us to know the season in which the Lord is going to return. And one of the reasons I'm sharing all this with you is because we as believers have to have our focus where it needs to be. Look what's happening in Syria. That you might have seen on the news. You know what Russia is doing in Syria, and Israel has had all these strikes in Syria. Damascus has been bombed. The Bible prophesies that Damascus will be a, reap, a, a heap of ruin before all this takes place. Dave Hunt, who's with the Lord now, and some of you might remember him. He's been to our fellowship a few times. He was a uh, best-selling author, and most of his books were based on prophecy and um, a lot of the hypocrisy that was coming into the church. But he wrote a book years ago called Peace, Prosperity, and the Coming Holocaust. And his theory was, according to studying the Word of God, is that rather than all kinds of horrible things happening, there would be a short time in the world where you'd have a semblance of peace and we would become prosperous. But then the Lord's going to come and take his church out of the world. Understand this, that the Bible is very clear that everything is going to be continuing on. People are going to be caught by surprise when the rapture comes. And so we have to realize that we're, we shouldn't be looking, oh, oh, this is happening, that's happening, the world's falling apart, the, the earth is going to split in two. Everything's going to seem normal. And then the Lord comes for his church, and then, literally, I'm not swearing, all hell will break loose on earth at that point when Jesus takes the earth out because his wrath is going to be poured out. And so we're, we're living in that time period, brothers and sisters. We're living. Israel's a nation. One of the most amazing prophecies to be fulfilled. When else in all of history... Have you had a people that have been scattered from their homeland, scattered from their traditional language, all over the entire world for 2,000 years? And then they come back into their original homeland, speaking the original language to fulfill the prophecies of God. Israel had to be a nation before the end time could even come. You had to have the people in their nation, and Jerusalem had to be its capital. Does that sound familiar? And the third temple then would be constructed when the red heifer was found. It's pretty amazing, and I think we need to keep our focus on where it needs to be. Because we have to understand that when we study the Word of God, 
It's speaking to us. And that's why we need to study the Word of God. If the only time you, you study or read the Word of God is when you're sitting in the pews on Sunday, reading through the verses that we're covering, I'm thankful for that. But if that's the only time you're reading, then you are a very bad student of the Word of God. You need to be reading on your own. That's why I put that reading list out. And if you say, well, I can't follow it. It's too much reading. I mean, it's got to be at least 10 minutes. Uh, You know, that's too much reading for me to do in a day. Well, you know what? Then just read what you can. Follow it along and make it a two-year plan then. I don't care. But you need to be in the Word of God and through the entire Word of God. Okay, now getting back to what we have here, because I'm sharing this because it's very related. Oftentimes things and disasters that we see happening in the world also uh, are, you know, what we read about in the past are relating to what we're experiencing today as well. Now, the plague we're looking at, Frank started it this morning talking about the, the locusts coming on the land. Now, after this plague, the Egyptians wouldn't have any food in all the land. No food at all. All the people would be starving. And you know, you know what's interesting about that? Why did Israel come into the land of Egypt to begin with? Because they were the only ones that had food. And now when Israel's leaving, they won't have any food. Everything's been destroyed because of their resistance to the word of God. Now... I think in our whole land today, there's a hunger. Did you know that? But it's not for food. In fact, let's turn to Amos. Keep your... Right here, Amos is one of the minor prophets. You know, when we talk about minor and major prophets, it doesn't mean the minors weren't quite as good as the majors. It's not like the minor league, major league. What we're talking about is just the size of the book. If it's a small book, it's called a minor prophet. If it's a larger book, it's a major prophet. So we're looking at one of the minor prophets, Amos. Chapter 8 and verse 11. Amos chapter 8 and verse 11. And it says this. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord God, that I will send a famine on the land. Not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. And that is a famine. I mean, you can turn on TVs or you can go to church services and it's all about how you can be rich, how you can be healthy, you know, how you can do this, how you can do that, and and all this kind of stuff. And it's just stuff. Or these cute little messages that they might have based on this particular philosophy or some poem or some, you know, thing, whatever. And it's just stuff. But there's not that many places you can go And hear the word of God. The only time I know that I'm saying something that is absolutely 100% true is when I'm preaching the word of God. Period. I have a lot of ideas and theories that might be right, might not be right. doesn't make any difference what I think. What does the word of God say? And so I think that there is a famine on the land of the hearing of the word of God. And we need to be praying that more and more churches start really emphasizing the word. Did you know in Tennessee, it's, it's, neat, it's neat to have alternative news sources you go to. 
that there's a revival taking place. There's a tent revival that started, and hundreds and hundreds of people are getting saved each day. It was only supposed to be, I think, a one-day or a weekend tent revival, and it's been going on for like a week or two now. I don't know how long. And all kinds of people are being saved, just in Tennessee. Well, you know what? The Lord wants to pour out His Spirit, and we should be praying that He does it even here as well. Now, the Lord used this plague of locusts to bring judgment upon the Egyptians, and he used the same plague on unbelieving Judah. Okay, he was bringing judgment at this point on Egypt, but he was bringing discipline on Judah. We find this in the prophet Joel, one of the minor prophets again, chapter 1, verse 4, and it says, What the chewing locusts left, the swarming locusts has eaten. What the swarming locusts have left, the crawling locusts had eaten. And what the crawling locusts left, the consuming locusts have eaten. Now, so God used a locust plague even on Judah because of their unbelief, because they're turning from the word of God. And then we know after the rapture occurs and we're taken out of the world and God's wrath is being poured out on planet earth, many people will be saved. Did you know that? There's going to be a lot of people saved during the tribulation. Like Frank was talking about, what about people all over in in these different parts of the world? Well, I think when God sends angels preaching the eternal gospel from the air to the entire world, that would be pretty amazing And I think no one would be able to say, well, I didn't hear it. Yeah, you did. An angel was proclaiming it from the heavens. How amazing is that going to be? But anyway, the point that I'm getting at is that we have to understand that God was bringing judgment, I mean, uh, discipline on them because of their unbelief. And he's going to be bringing judgment and discipline on this world as well because of unbelief. The majority of people after the rapture are going to turn their back on the Lord. As a matter of fact, Scripture tells us they know these judgments are from God and they gnaw their teeth at God and curse Him. I mean, that's the most stupid thing in the world. I mean, you know something's from God and you know the people of God are not experiencing these curses. The people of God are not experiencing these judgments is a better word. And yet they won't turn to God. It's amazing. It's just absolutely amazing. And a harsh form of this judgment is going to, of the locust is going to be brought on uh, the earth during the tribulation period. In fact, if you want to turn in your Bibles to the last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 9, and we're going to start with verse 1. Revelation 9 and verse 1. Revelation 9, 1. Then the fifth angel sounded his trumpet, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth. A star always represents, normally anyway, an angel. To him was given the key of the bottomless pit. And he opened the bottomless pit, and smoke arose out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace. So the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit. Then out of the smoke locusts came... On the, upon the earth. And these locusts are going to be a little bit different than what we saw in Egypt, a little bit different than what Judah saw when they rebelled. Here's what it says, these locusts. And to him these was given the power as the scorpion of the earth have power. They were commanded 
not to harm the grass of the earth or any green thing or any tree, but only but only those men who do not have the seal of God in their foreheads. In other words, many people are being saved during the tribulation. This will not affect them. Just like we saw in Egypt. It didn't affect the children of God. Verse 5. And they were not given authority to kill them. In other words, these locusts that had the sting of a scorpion couldn't kill, but to torment them for five months. The torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it strikes a man. In those days, men will seek death and will not find it. They will desire to die and death will flee from them. Now, you're probably wondering, what does the scorpion cause that is so painful? Number one, at the site a person is stung by the scorpion, it becomes very warm and very painful. But then it actually causes the person to start sweating, throwing up, and, and uh, having like shakes and, and convulsions. And when it's not treated, it makes it impossible to go to the bathroom. That's pretty painful. And it tells us people are going to wish to die. And they're not going to be able to. But like I said, notice, like with the Egyptians, the plague does not affect the people of God. Now realize this, brothers and sisters. God never brings judgment on on any people. Only for the purpose of trying to get them to open their eyes. I mean, many of the people of Egypt left with the Israelites that mixed multitude that left. Many Egyptians got saved when all this was taking place. And so when the Lord allows these judgments and these difficulties to come upon the earth, the purpose of it isn't he wants to be mean to us. He wants wants us to open our eyes and seek after him and be saved. So we're in Exodus 10. I'm going to read verses 12 uh, through 14 first, 12 through 15 first in my large print Aldi's Bible. It's a little joke. I was telling everyone how I went to Ollie's and I found this really cool, manly-looking Bible. Nineteen dollars, large print. I print it like this. I can read it, and um, it, it, it's really cool. And so everyone's teasing me about my Ollie's Bible, but you're not, and I'm glad about that. Okay, ten. We're picking up with verse twelve. I'm reading twelve through fifteen. Then the Lord said to Moses, "Stretch out your hand over the land of Egypt for the locusts." that they may come upon the land of Egypt and eat every herb of the land, all that the hail has left. Remember the, uh, the plague prior to this was hail. And it broke down a lot of the crops. So Moses stretched out his, his rod over the land of Egypt, and the Lord brought an east wind on the land all that day and all that night. When it was morning, the east wind brought the locusts. And the locusts went up over all the land of Egypt, not some of it, all the land of Egypt, and rested on all the territory of Egypt. They were very severe. Previously, there had been no such locusts as they, nor shall there be such after them. For they covered the face of the whole earth so that the land was darkened. And they ate every herb of the land and all the fruit of the trees which the hail had left. So... There remained nothing green on the trees or the uh, plants of the field throughout all the land of Egypt. So we know they had nothing. They would have been starving. Now, at the time of year this took place, in Ethiopia, they always have locust plagues. 
Now, Ethiopia is much larger than Egypt was, and the east wind would come right over Ethiopia. And so it would drive all these locusts in a very concentrated form on Egypt. And that's why the land was covered that way, absolutely covered. And so when we look at this, what's interesting is God used a natural occurrence in a supernatural way in order to bring judgment on an unbelieving people. So these weren't like the locusts coming out of the pit in Revelation. These were regular locusts. And so he used a natural occurrence in a supernatural way. Now, the miracle, of course, was the timing. Because Moses had told Pharaoh what was going to happen, and Moses went out at the time appointed, stretched out his hand, and the locusts came. And in the same way, the Lord often allows in our lives natural difficulties and occurrences to happen in order to open our eyes, in order to help us see what's going on in our lives and what's going on around us that we might seek after the Lord with all of our heart. And um, one of the things I think the Lord does too is he shows us our helplessness. We think we can do everything, but we can't. And sometimes the Lord shows us our helplessness. You know what I'm saying? And, um, and I believe that God's, it's God's way of showing us that we're not as all-powerful as we think. We think we can do everything, right? You know, I can um, you know, have honey and lemon you know, for breakfast, and I can do all these supplements and all these different kinds of things and then have a heart attack. So the point I'm getting at is the Lord shows us how helpless we really are. It's just a matter of trusting in him. Because in reality, man in his pride is ignorant. Think about this. We can map the human genome. We can break the DNA code. We can split the atom. But we can't stop it from snowing. We can't stop a hurricane from coming. We can't stop earthquakes. I mean, that should make us realize we're not as powerful as we think. We think, well, science can do anything. Well, a lot of science is just theoretical, and a lot of those theories are proven wrong after time. But the reality is we are helpless in the presence of this natural world we live in. Now, listen to this. This was actually a statement from NASA and also Stephen Hawking's, he made the same statement as well, and that is that they believed that we should um, actually colonize other planets. Now, this is an actual statement from NASA. One of the major environmental concerns of our time is the increasing consumption of Earth's resources to sustain our way of life. As more and more nations make the climb up from agricultural to in- industrial nations, Um, their their standard of life will improve, which will mean that more and more people will be competing for the same resources. Okay? The colonists would mine the moon and minor planets and build beam power satellites that would supplement or even replace the power plants on the Earth. The colonists would also take advantage of the 
plentiful raw materials, unlimited solar power, vacuum, and microgravity in other ways to create products that we cannot while inside the cocoon of Earth's atmosphere and gravity. In addition to potentially replacing our current Earth-polluting industries, these colonies may also help our environment in other ways. Since the colonists would inhabit completely isolated man-made environments, they would refine our knowledge on the Earth's ecology. Wow. And then on May 3rd, uh, 2017, Stephen Hawking, it was before he died, he says, we must colonize another planet soon. And Seth Bornstein says, space is vast, but it may not be so lonely after all. A study finds the Milky Way is teeming with billions of planets about uh, the size of Earth, orbiting stars like our sun, and exist within the Goldilocks zone. Well, what's that? Not too hot, not too cold for life. Um, Astronomers using NASA data have calculated for the first time that in our galaxy alone, there are at least 8.8 billion stars with Earth-sized planets in the inhabited temperate zone. For perspective, that's more Earth-like planets than there are people on Earth. In the Milky Way, about one in five stars that are like our sun in size, color, and age, have planets that are roughly Earth's size and are in a, a habitable zone where life, crucial water, can be liquid. Uh, according um, to intrinsic, cal intrinsic calculations, uh, based on four years of uh, observation from NASA's now-crippled Kepler telescope, if people on Earth could only travel in deep space, you'd probably see a lot of traffic jams. Are you kidding me? I mean, we think science is going to resolve everything. And if there were that many inhabited planets, and they think many of them much more advanced than us, how comes we don't have any communication going on? You know what I'm saying? And, and, and there are so many things that just doesn't make any sense. For instance, if the nearest inhabited planet is four light years outside our solar system, but to travel outside our solar system would take 80,000 light years. See, they, they make it sound like, well, the nearest one's only four, four uh, light years outside of our solar system. Well, that's not bad, four years. Yeah, but to go outside our solar system, you have to travel 80,000 years. And that's the reason science comes up with all these. You know, here's the thing. A lot of times there are theories that are proven to be true. And a lot of times there are theories that are proven to be false. So the big thing they have now are these wormholes. So in other words, you have timeless and all these, you know, it's kind of like webbed. And, and you can go through these wormholes and you can pass through, you know, all kinds. Or Star Trek, you know, warp speed, eight Dr. Spock or whatever it is. And, um, but the fact is, you know, we, we aren't even sure that these distances are correct. This is what we're being told by the Kepler telescope that's now crippled. But the reality is that our whole universe is what, in what is called a red shift. It's still expanding. We don't even know how long that's going to take uh, place. For instance, quantum physics. Now, Maxwell Planck did come up with a, a very good theory and, and actually had some proof that he used concerning his theory in Planck's box and so forth. But the reality is quantum physics is just a theory, and much of it has been proven false. 
And yet we love getting into all these things that are unprovable. You know, I think man uh, just says what he doesn't know. And I think he brags about what he can't do. Because God is God and we are simply men. If there were other planets with life, Genesis would have told us. And each solar system, if there were other planets that were livable like that, each of those solar systems would have to have their own God, as the Mormons believe. That's what they teach. But in reality, if every planet had its own God, then there would be no God because he is the great I am, not the we are. I'm serious. Genesis makes it clear. Now, man just, you know... We just don't know. We just don't know. Everything that was still alive, it tells us in Egypt at this point, were devoured by the locusts. The east wind came, you know, and brought the locusts. And I think the locusts come to devour our hearts as well. The belief we have, the love we have for God, the locusts are always coming in to devour it. You know, life circumstances, happenings, different things that are occurring, they come in and it starts devouring our faith, devouring all the love we have for the Lord. And that's why I love also in one of the minor prophets, Joel, chapter 2, verse 25, it says, So I will restore to you the years the swarming locusts have eaten. Wow. Maybe, brothers and sisters, you've been decimated in your heart. By the locusts of this life, Jesus Christ can restore it all. Restore it all. It's amazing. I mean, we're amazed with, with, with the medical science. For instance, I went in and I had, you know, when I was having, I had the heart attack, I had two stents put in and stuff. I feel better than ever. Now, I've been going to cardiac rehab and, and man, I'm 40 minutes. I am, 40 minutes doing um, aerobic exercise. They have to keep, you know, increasing my intensity. I was on four blood pressure medications. I'm on one now, and I called the doctor last week, and he cut that in half because I get up in the morning, my blood pressure is 95 over 59. Those of you who don't understand diastolic stuff. Anyway, that's low. So they took me off more medication. And so here, this is just, my body is just a physical body and, and, and modern medical science. And man, I've been restored. <laughs> well, just think what the Lord can do in your heart. Because you've had clogged arteries for a long time in your cardiac, your inner man, your soul. And the Lord can come in and restore all the years the locusts have eaten. Now, I almost feel like my son. I've preached for almost my whole time and I haven't even looked at my portion of scripture yet. <laughs> That's right, exactly. <laughs> Feels good. Wise guy. Okay, Exodus 10 verses 16 through 20. Then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron in haste and said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now, therefore, uh, please forgive my sin 
only this once and uh, entreat the Lord that he may take away the, uh, from me this death only. In other words, what was happening in Egypt. So he went out from Pharaoh and he entreated the Lord and the Lord turned a very strong wind which took locusts away and blew it into the Red Sea. There remained not one locust in all the territory of Egypt, but the Lord hardened. Now, in the Hebrew there, it, doesn't, it means it's solidified. The word that is used here in the Hebrew is solidified. In other words, Pharaoh had already hardened his heart, and God's only solidifying it. Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the children of Israel go. So once again, we see Pharaoh repenting of the consequences of his sin, but not for his sin. Isn't that what we do sometimes? All of a sudden, we're feeling the consequences of our sin. Oh, God, please, if you just take this away, I promise I'll never do it again. Then he takes it away, and we are right back involved in it. You, you guys know what I'm talking about. You know why I know you know? Because we all go through it. And we're all, we all deal with it. And so it's so much better to have forward faith than backward faith. And let me tell you what that means. It's a whole lot better to say, I'm so glad I did, than to say, I wish I would have. Right? I mean, it's so true. Now... Notice, as we look at this, that every one of us has to have a certitude in our heart that God is able to keep all of his promises. I love what it tells us in 2 Corinthians 1.20. Listen carefully to, to 2 Corinthians 1.20. For all the promises. Now, how many are all? All. Not some, not a few. For all the promises of God in him capital H in your Bible, Jesus Christ, are yes and in him, amen. A amen, I mean, literally means, and so be it. So God's not only saying, this is my promise, it will be. So be it, amen. To the glory of God through us. And so all of this isn't just, oh, I feel so much better now. It's for the glory of God through us that we might minister to others, that we might be his examples, that we might be a light in this dark world. People are drowning in dissipation of sin and guilt, and we have the answer. We have the life, you know, ring to throw out there to pull them in. Jesus Christ is capable of forgiving every single sin we've ever committed. He's faithful and just. If we confess our sin... And, of course, that's a conditional conjunction. If. You have to do something. You can't just say, oh. if I confess my sin, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and he's just to forgive us and purify us from how much? All unrighteousness. That's the God we serve. How amazing his love is. Now notice how the full grace uh, of, and mercy of God is shown here. He removed the plague. He knew Pharaoh wasn't going to relent. God even solidified in his hardened heart. And yet, in his grace, he gave Pharaoh one more chance. And that's why I love what it tells us if you take notes in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Aren't you glad he's patient with you? I'm glad he's patient with me. Because I'll tell you what. There have been times that I've had... Hours of being good. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, this, that, that. I'm so glad he's patient. 
Now, some people wonder, how could Pharaoh's heart become so hardened? And this is the last thing I'm going to be sharing with you. Back when I was young, I mean, I, I was in school a long time ago. In fact, Pastor Frank Jr., I'm old enough to be his father. And, uh, but anyway, when I was in high school, and I don't know if there's anyone, maybe uh, Nick might remember this, but anyone my age again. But when I was in high school, even if you were in the academic program, you had to take shop. Remember that, Nick? We had to take shop. It was required. And one of the shops I took was metal shop, and I loved it. I actually made a whole set of screwdrivers. But here's the thing with hardening, tempering metal, okay? I don't know how they do it now, but back in those days, Nick probably remembers this. You actually had a chalk that you put on your piece of metal that you're going to be forging into a, um, you know, a screwdriver. And you would take it and you put it in the fire. And when that chalk turned to cherry red, you pulled it out. And then you could take and you could form, you know, a tip on the piece of your round stock in order to make a screwdriver end on it and, and chip it all off. And then while it was still red hot, do you remember what you did? Right in the water. Now, at that point, it's not tempered. It's just hardened. And if you took it and smashed it on something, it would just break the pieces. So what you did is you put another piece of chalk on a different color and you put it in until it turned cherry red, and you took it out and just let it cool naturally. So every time it goes in the fire, it becomes stronger and stronger. And so for you and I, every time we're put in the fire, we can either become stronger in our faith and useful to the Lord, or we can become hardened in our heart and be of no use to the Lord. So the fire can be good, the fire can be bad. The fire can work wonderful things in us, or it can work horrible things. It all depends on our willingness. See, there's no greater thing than to recognize, and I'm dead serious, I'm not trying to be funny or anything. There's, no greater, there's nothing greater than to understand I'm nothing, and he's everything. I'm empty. Fill me, Lord. It's not about me, it's about you. The ministry that you desire to work through me, as we just read a little bit ago, is not to make me feel good about myself, but to minister to others, that they might see the glory of God and so be saved. God's Word is awesome. You take a portion like this and you don't think there's that much in it, but just ponder. I love that it tells us to meditate on the Word. Meditate. Think about it. Ponder it. You know, don't take your Bible. I've I got to get through this many verses. You know, if you read the first verse and it just really hits you and you want to pray about it and you want to ponder it and you want to think about it, go ahead. Because the Bible's still there. When you come back the next day, you can start off where you left off. It's not a big deal. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name thanking you for all of your love thanking you for the power of your word. And I ask, Heavenly Father, that you would minister to us the deep meanings of those things that we've discussed this morning. I ask your blessing upon this, your people, this beautiful fellowship, my family. And I ask, Father, that you would enable us by your spirit, by your strength, to be your instruments, to be your light every single place we go. And I pray and ask this in Christ Yeshua's name. Amen and amen. God bless you, my dear friends.